0: Or toll free at 888 382 7502.
1: You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, on ESPN 1067 in Fox Sports Central, Alabama happy thursday everybody hope everybody's having a great thursday afternoon here on the line with us on espn 1067 at fox sports central alabama from 2 to 4 p.m here with you also on the podcast wherever you get your podcast as well as you can watch the show on the radio alabama sports
2: facebook page lance how's your thursday going my man it's been very productive no how's your thursday going
1: productive productive it's been a good strong team effort
2: in the workplace my man i've enjoyed today it's been a grind it's been a lot of fun i've really enjoyed today
1: not only that but now we've got early season college football date times channels we know when where these kickoff dates are Auburn football going to be kicking off against Akron we found out that kickoff time Akron at Auburn on ESPN plus or SEC network plus at 6 p.m. that'll be the kickoff time for the Tigers week one we've got all kickoff times inside the SEC all the way through September eighteenth, and then a couple of late season matchups as well. Like we already knew when Georgia and Florida would be. That would be the 230 game on October 30th. We know Ole Miss Mississippi State when it rolls around to Thanksgiving. That's going to be at 630 on ESPN. Missouri, Arkansas, that Thanksgiving Friday. That'll be on CBS at 230. And then of course the SEC Football Championship game we know is at three on CBS as well when that rolls around on December 4th. But we have the actual schedule for the first three weeks of the sec football season we know when where what channel they're on we know everything
2: now for the first three weeks of the sec football season it's it's finally that time man i'm so i'm so glad i think i said it a couple of weeks ago you know it it wouldn't really feel like it was actually happening until we got some tv times and now that we've got them now that we've got week one and some of these really uh, high level matchups that we've got with like Georgia and Clemson and Alabama, Miami, of course, and in week three, Auburn taking on Penn State. Just a lot of excitement going around. I cannot wait to get through this summer and go ahead and get to college football season. What do you think of Auburn? Six o'clock, getting to be under the floodlights. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm really, really excited that the first game of the season is not an 11 a.m. kickoff or like a or like a 2.30 kickoff. I'm happy that it's under the lights. I think uh, Jordan here week one this uh, that's the kind of setting I want to have it takes me back to games like Georgia Southern in 2017 where it's just like okay really excited to see Jarrett Stidham I I, I like the night environment a lot more than I do in the, in the daytime that's even for like big matchups at like 230 on CBS I prefer the night games almost every single time because the atmosphere just seems a little bit more dense it's a little bit more exciting to me I don't know what it is it's just I I I do prefer later kickoffs kickoffs like six o'clock and I think for a game like this against Akron you know it's a it's a cupcake game essentially but there are going to be a lot of Auburn fans there because it's the first time that uh, a lot of fans have been able to actually get into the stadium for over a year
1: that's what I'm excited about though like Auburn has one of the best tailgating environments in the SEC and now you get to tailgate all day long you get to get into the stadium full capacity is what we're working towards I have a hard time believing that it won't be full capacity when it rolls around and you get a 6 p.m. kickoff the sun will be setting you get to look at the orange and blue sunset up in the sky then the floodlights turn on I'm so sorry Akron that you have to experience fans like Auburn in the first in, in the first time back into the stadium right. in, in over a year and a half now or so you know it, it, it's been a full football season since folks have got to see this is going to be two years for some people yep. maybe even longer since they've been in a football stadium so
2: so sorry Akron they probably have a hard time getting fans into their own stadium and now they're gonna be like
1: what is this
2: right right <laughs> you think that for a cupcake game it'd be like oh well not a whole lot of Auburn fans would show up or like oh it's just gonna be a blowout who wants to actually go and see that in person and the heat and humidity but like you just mentioned people are gonna be dying to get in that into that stadium like I want to be there so badly even though it's just a game against Akron I just want to feel the environment that spring game it was the first time I had been in Jordan-Hare Stadium since 2018, and it was just such a relief to feel like, okay, it feels normal. It feels like we're getting back to normal, and I love this environment so much. I cannot wait until the, until the season actually starts in the fall. I think a lot of fans share the same mentality. It's just like, I don't care who we're playing. I don't care when it is. I just want to be in Jordan-Hare, and I want to be able to enjoy this atmosphere with everybody else.
1: Well, let's look at week one real quick here. Starting on that Thursday night, we're under 100 days until SEC football kicks off on September 2nd. The Thursday night game, Bowling Green at Tennessee, 7 o'clock on SEC Network. Then you move over a couple days on to Saturday, September 4th. Louisiana Monroe at Kentucky on SEC Network at 11. Then you got Rice at Arkansas on ESPN Plus slash SEC Network Plus at 1 o'clock. Alabama and Miami, we already knew this time, that's going to be a 2.30 kickoff on ABC in Atlanta in the Chick-fil-A kickoff game. Louisiana Tech, Mississippi State on ESPNU at 3 o'clock. Central Michigan at Missouri on SEC Network at 3 as well. Eastern Illinois at South Carolina. That'll be ESPN Plus, SEC Network Plus at six, as well as at the same time as the akron Auburn game on those exact same locations. Georgia Clemson on ABC at 6.30. That game being played in Charlotte in Bank of America Stadium, home of the Carolina Panthers. That's the Duke's Mayo Classic kickoff game that they've got going on there. Florida, Atlantic, Florida is at 6.30 on SEC Network. And then at seven, you've got Kent State, Texas A&M on ESPNU And then a couple of games beyond that, going into 7 o'clock, you got East Tennessee at Vanderbilt on ESPN Plus, SEC Network Plus, digital locations there. And then at 7.30, a game that I'm going to be tuning into on my phone while I'm in the stadium for the Auburn-Akron game. I'm very upset that I'll, I'll be missing this game, but... I will record it and go back and watch it. The acronym BALL, as I dubbed it yesterday, LSU against UCLA on Fox at 7.30.
2: Man, oh man, that's going to be such a fun game. And you and I both think that the Bruins really have a chance in that matchup. It's going to be a really tough matchup for LSU. We talked about it on yesterday's show. If you didn't get to catch the conversation, we we put up a podcast every single day. Find On The Line wherever you get your podcasts. But we discussed the returning production for UCLA in this Bruin offense. And and they were cooking last season. 35.4 points per game. You bring back 95% of your returning production on that offense. You get to play in the Rose Bowl for the first time in over a year. That's going to be a really tough road environment having to travel across the country for LSU. That's going to be such a tough game. And like you mentioned... I'm going to be focused on the Auburn game but I'm going to be flipping back and forth just to see what happens in in that in that Rose Bowl matchup going to be a lot of fun man I just I can't wait until week one I'm just so excited I just want to be able to get through this summer and just I just want it to be week one already I'm so I'm so excited I'm just so glad for it to be finally back
1: Throughout the show, we'll keep going through the other weeks that have been released. We'll go through week two later on. We'll go through week three later on as well. We're not going to give it all away right now, so stay tuned for that throughout the program. We will keep you up to date, tell you what's going on. We've got other kickoff times as well. I'll go ahead and get give everybody Auburn kickoff times, though, right now. Alabama State at Auburn on SEC Network. That's week two. That'll be an 11 a.m. kickoff. So you had your, you had your nice night game against Akron yep. you'll have to come back and play the tune-up game for Penn State at 11 a.m on September 11th in week two and then of course we already knew the kickoff time for the Penn State game in week three which is at 6 30 in Happy Valley on ABC so that's the Auburn kickoff times through the first three weeks we'll get you some of these other teams in the league what week two and what week three looks like throughout the program as well but let's switch gears here Talking about the transfer portal, we recently put up an article on RadioAlabamaSports.net called Tracking Auburn Football's Editions in the Transfer Portal, giving you a brief synopsis over all the players that have come into the program via the transfer portal and then where Auburn might look in the transfer portal throughout the rest of the summer as the team building continues. Once again, go and check that out on RadioAlabamaSports.net. You can also find the content, of course, on the various Facebook page, Twitter. You can go and find us on social media, so go and check that out. But I want to ask you this. Give Auburn a grade in the transfer portal so far, and then I want us to go through and rank Auburn's seven additions from the transfer portal in order of importance or necessity. First, though, give me that grade.
2: So normally I think think what you would have to look at as far as giving – these these players are great is you got to look at their star prospect and you got to look at their production but I think another thing that factors into this for Auburn and Brian Harson specifically is circumstance it, it's really really difficult to go out and recruit whenever you've been in this pro- Auburn program for less than four months it's just really hard to do and I think just simply based off that I got to give it a B or a B plus I got to give it a B or a B plus nothing's perfect i can't give it a material because you look at the guys that they're bringing in nobody really stands out on paper and says wow that's a five-star prospect out of the seven guys that have committed to auburn through the transfer portal only one of them was a four-star prospect coming out of high school and that was donovan kaufman and he's now graded a three-star prospect by the transfer portal i don't know how his numbers went down considering he only played in two games for vanderbilt last season but i gotta give it a b b plus somewhere around there really really good stuff based off of brian hart brian harson circumstance to have to come into this program and not necessarily go for the leftovers in the transfer portal but try and look for diamonds in the rough i like to compare harson to bill clark a lot both of those guys i think really find three-star talent that that can perform at a five-star level i've seen it at uab they they pull guys out of nowhere that's just like who is this kid like he he, he wasn't even rated coming out of high school he's a nobody and you look at him and he's he, next thing you know he's he's a fifth round pick in the nfl draft so It's like how does that even happen so I'm really excited moving forward. It's not the craziest roster on paper when you look at the second guy, seven guys that they brought in. But again, I have faith that they're going to be able to to churn into something special. One of these guys is going to turn into something really special. So what's your grade? I, I think I'll go B plus. I'll go B plus. I think I think he, he, it's worthy of a B plus just based off of circumstance. I'm taking a look
1: at it and I'm saying a B for Auburn with the potential for it to rise to an A if Auburn can go out and get a wide receiver. I think it's more important for Auburn to get a wide receiver throughout the summer than it is to get an offensive lineman. I think simply put, Auburn just needs some chemistry on that offensive line, maybe for them to not get hurt as well. They've had an injury bug over the last couple of years. When you take a look at guys like Austin Troxel, there have been players to get hurt. Nick Brahms as well. If you could just have the same five, get everybody back healthy, build some chemistry, maybe just this new coaching staff could be enough to help those guys get to the point where they need to be. But I definitely believe it to be more important for Auburn at this moment to go and get a wide receiver right. that can help this group out. One wide receiver can make this receiver room good enough to where it fixes all the issues that we saw in the spring. One offensive lineman will not fix the entire issues that we saw in the offensive line for Auburn last year, and I find it less likely that they get enough offensive linemen to fix those issues, whereas I think they could go and get one veteran wide receiver that could really give this group a facelift and make it a lot better than what we saw in the spring, and then some of those other players that you're waiting on, like Xavier Capers to get back from injury, Shedrick Jackson as well, and then alongside Kobe Hudson and Elijah Canyon, all those players raise their game, and then you've also got a veteran-wide receiver in that group. I think it's more likely that you see the receiver core to get better with one guy, then the offensive line get better with just one guy so I would like to see Auburn go out and get that wide receiver in the transfer portal and if they could get multiple offensive linemen that would be great as well but I just don't see them revamping the offensive line with transfers
2: well actually you know we've been talking for the past two months or so about where Auburn should go in the portal and specifically with wide receivers you know there's not really a standout guy in the portal there's not really somebody that's been both productive and and is a veteran presence and Somebody entered the transfer portal recently that could have some ties to Auburn. Kalen Geiger from Troy has entered the transfer portal, and in his 23 games with the Trojans, he had been exceptionally productive. 141 passes caught for 1600 yards and eight touchdowns that's over the course of two seasons and another reason that he could potentially go to Auburn other than the fact that just Troy's in Alabama, is Cornelius Williams was the former receivers coach at Troy so you may see Auburn go after this kid hard somebody that has veteran presence entering his junior season and somebody who's been exceptionally productive I actually said two or three months ago I, I wish we could go back and find it. i was like you know i think a really good guy that auburn to w- w- a really good guy for auburn to go after would be somebody like a player in the sunbelt like a receiver in the sunbelt that's just kind of a hidden gem that would be underrated but exceptionally productive because we see guys from like arkansas state georgia state ulm occasionally bring out thousand yard receivers that will enter the transfer portal and go and play well somewhere else i'd love to see a sunbelt player here he is here's here's Kalen Geiger let's see if Auburn goes after him, and then like you said this has the potential to raise it from a b to an a quickly really talented player
1: we'll keep talking about that throughout the show as well as ranking Auburn's seven additions from the transfer portal in order of necessity all that coming up on the Thursday edition of on the line
0: you are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. we'll be right back You're on the line with
1: Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. We're taking your calls all day long. 334-321-1390 here on the Thursday edition of On the Line. Some Auburn basketball news. John Rothstein, CBS Sports. Everybody should know him as that excellent basketball reporter with all the great sayings from CBS Sports. He had a tweet earlier today saying, source Auburn basketball to open the 2021-2022 basketball season on November 9th with a home game against Moorhead State. So potentially another Auburn opponent
2: on the basketball schedule. There you go. There you go. And, and, And again, talking about in the first segment, it's like I really need some TV times and some games to be announced in order for this to feel real really excited to see basketball already in May getting their schedule sorted out last season they didn't get a lot of it sorted out until the, just two weeks beforehand they were still trying to find opponents to play I'm really excited that they're getting they they're starting it now starting it early. And I'd have to take a look at Moorhead State to see if they're actually a formidable opponent or not. But twenty three and eight
1: last year. There you Seventeen go. and three in conference play of the OVC. They had a really rough non conference schedule, got blown out by Kentucky by forty points in game one, lost in double digits to Clemson and some other teams in the non-conference schedule. Really came on at the Ohio Valley Conference, took down Belmont, who was the top team in the Ohio Valley Conference. Ended up winning the OVC tournament, taking down Belmont by, I think, double digits, actually. 86-71,
2: to 71, yeah. That's
1: right. Winning by 15 in that title game. They won three in the tournament and then moved on to the NCAA tournament. Lost to West Virginia by double digits in the NCAA tournament. I believe they were a 14 seed. Uh, am yes. I wrong there? Yes, they were. They were a 14? West Virginia was as high as a three seed?
2: They were a three seed, and wow. West Virginia beat them 84-67. to 67.
1: Well, there you go. There you go. There you go. So that that's the scouting report on Moorhead State. Now, teams go up and down all the time from the mid major level, but this is still a team of the last ten to fifteen years that has punched its ticket to the NCAA tournament a few times. Still Albert should cruise in this game, I would imagine.
2: We have seen Albert in the past, though, struggle in early season games and in um and in exhibition games, I've been to a couple. I was at the one that Auburn lost Berry three years College. ago. Yep, and I was I was also at the one the year that Auburn went to the Final Four, and I came out of that game saying Auburn's not going to be very good this year because they 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 look so unprepared. Boy, was I wrong! But anyway, they they they've they tend to struggle early on, but. That's the way. That's the nature of a Bruce Pearl team. Is they 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 build and then they get really really hot to finish the season.
1: Be a huge damper if they were to lose this game. Don't
2: put that evil on me, Ricky Bobby. They won't lose. What are you doing? They'll, what are you doing? They'll win, but it won't be like whoa, Auburn's top five team. They might be though. Who knows? With the, with this roster, who knows? They could blow them out just like
1: Kentucky did, and then have a losing record. <laughs> don't don't put that evil on me, <laughs> Ricky Bobby
2: goodness kentucky
1: folks were like we won by 40 and then we all saw what happened they started losing by 40 right not really losing by 40 but felt like they, they, they felt like they lost 40 games last year let's rank auburn seven additions from the transfer portal in order of importance or necessity We were talking about this in our previous segment, giving Auburn a grade in the transfer portal based off that Radio Alabama Sports article that we were just talking about, tracking Auburn football's additions in the transfer portal. Once again, go and check that out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and all the great content there as well. But let's rank Auburn seven additions from the transfer portal in order of importance or necessity. Started off, Lance. Let's start at the bottom. Let's go seven to one. So the player that we believe to have been the least important for Auburn to have picked up, not saying that these guys are bad not saying that they aren't important not saying that Auburn didn't need them yeah but a little bit down the line in terms of how we viewed them in terms of necessity at Auburn next season
2: as far as necessity goes I put in in, in ability to play in importance I put T.J. Finley at number seven Whoa. I debated putting him at six but I put him at seven and you are again, going
1: to be shocked at where I have him on my list oh, my friend no.
2: <laughs> I put Finley at 7, almost put him at 6. It's because I have a lot of faith in in in, in this quarterback room. If demetrius Davis does have to have to play, I would play him over TJ Finley. And so as far as depth goes, I feel like we have a backup quarterback right now. And I And did, it's
1: not Grant Loy. And
2: it's not Grant Loy. <laughs> Grant Loy is fifth string behind Sawyer Pate. So I would like to see Sawyer Pate take a, a couple of snaps of not Forget about string. Lindsay. Oh yeah, that's right. Lindsay, Trey Lindsay. Don't forget about him either. Uh, but but as far as Finley goes, I put him put him at seven because I feel like he's the least important out of these seven guys. Necessity wise as well, I feel like Auburn already has their answer. But we've talked about this. They've brought on two quarter. They've recruited two quarterbacks during Demetrius Davis's time at Auburn, albeit like what four months so far. But I have faith in him personally over TJ Finley. If Auburn were to play somebody, if bownick got hurt or was not performing, I would have rather have Demetrius Davis. Finley, in my mind, is not is not at the at the place he needs to be in order to be a backup quarterback at Auburn.
1: At seven for me, I'm going with the Kansas defensive end transfer Marcus Harris, and a big part of that is because I look at that position group already. And I see where he's going to slot in. I think he's going to be a very good player. And I'm looking forward to the fact that he still has four years of eligibility as he comes to Auburn. And he's drawing Marlon Davidson comparisons as as far as his upside. He's obviously not at that level yet. I loved his efficiency. He was he had the most tackles for loss on Kansas's defensive line last year. That says a lot about him already. And of course, some folks out there are saying, well, it's Kansas, and, and, and you would be right. And I look at the competition that he is encountering at his position group and the way in which Auburn is lining up the defensive line this year with a 3-4 he's going to be going head to head with Colby Wooden who I want on the field three four snaps out of the four downs of your defense right like I I want him out there 90% of the time when this guy gets tired fine send him to the sideline but I want Colby Wooden out there all the time and then I think Zykevis Walker and Lee Hunter, and, and, and there's going to be so much versatility along this line. Eku Leota has much more experience in him doing the exact same thing. So for me, I like the versatility of the Auburn defensive line. There's so many different guys that can play at different spots along the line, and I like the fact that Auburn brought in Harris, but there are several guys in front of him on the depth chart for me, namely Colby Wooden, where I was just like, yeah, this is a great pickup, but I don't know if it was needed.
2: Yeah, and, and as far as as far as his ability to play goes, you know, he's only a sophomore. He on, he's only legitimately played one season. Three-star prospect coming out of high school last season, 27 tackles, and as you mentioned, 7.5 tackles for loss. That was the most on Kansas's defense last year. Really impressive to do that as a sophomore, but he had no sacks. Redshirt
1: freshman last year, actually. Right,
2: he had no sacks last season, but he did have, have one forced fumble and one fumble recovery, and I started to look at the teams that he produced against to see, okay – my concern about Ecul- Liotta is like, well, he won't be able to produce against SEC competition. And then the T.J. Daniel comparison got, gets brought up and, and so forth. But I wanted to look and see, okay, who are the teams that Marcus Harris produced well against? His best two games, in my opinion, were against West Virginia and Kansas State. He had three tackles for loss in that West Virginia game, Ooh. six tackles overall. But West Virginia had the 75th be- best offensive line in the country last year, according to Pro Football Focus. Eight SEC schools were ahead of the Mountaineers against kansas state he had four tackles overall and two and a half tackles for loss in that game but kansas state had the 101st best offensive line in the country according to pro Football so the Focus. majority
1: of his tackles for loss coming against subpar offensive
2: lines right right but as all that to say i believe he has upside because he's shown it statistically and whenever you go back and watch film he was able to produce against teams that were not great at the offensive line position Auburn, could, Auburn just needs depth. Auburn needs depth on that defensive line. This is another depth f- piece. The reason that I have Leo to hire on this list is because I believe he will probably, probably be more on the field in 2021 than Harris will. Who's number six on your list? Number six, or number five rather, yeah, number six is Marcus Harris.
1: Okay, so since you've already talked about that then, and you've gotten him at number six, then I'll go ahead and I'll give my number six on ranking Auburn's transfer additions in order of importance or necessity for the Tigers this upcoming season. Number six for me is going to be by Darius Knighton, the safety out of Southeast Missouri State. Of course, at the time that Auburn brought in by Darius Knighton, I was curious as to why Auburn decided to go after him because we heard only great things about Donovan Kaufman and that he was going to be committing to Auburn. And I thought, well, that solves the Chris Thompson Jr. conundrum and the fact that he transferred to USC. That solves that issue, right? And I view Donovan Kaufman to be more SEC-ready at this point because he's already played in the SEC, right? And he played very well in the SEC in his short stint with Vanderbilt last year before he got injured. So, Darius Knighton... Nothing against the guy's talent, all OVC talent at Southeast Missouri State. He was an all OVC player for two straight seasons. We've gone over his stats time and time again, over 200 tackles there. He can cover. He can come up and run support. He's a great hybrid safety. I enjoy the fact that Auburn got by Darius Knighton, but I think that Donovan Kaufman's ahead of him on the depth chart going into the season, especially because of his connection to Derek Mason fourth safety on the depth chart for me I, I don't know how important that is for Auburn it is a good depth piece but when I compare him to other players on this list his need maybe is a little bit less than some of the other guys that are coming into the program
2: I completely agree I have by the area set number five I went back and forth on Kaufman and Knighton just to be simply because I really don't like the fact that Kaufman is five foot nine but at the same time I agree with you I think that SEC experience, even though uh, Co- or yeah, Kaufman's only played in two games, is significant. I feel like he's more battle-tested by various unrated coming out of high school. He was still a major factor on the back end for the Southeast Missouri defense, though. Southeast Missouri State, I'm sorry. Again, we've brought up his statistics. Over 200 tackles in his career, 75 last year, one and a half tackles for loss. And he also, Knighton, has a kickoff return for a touchdown under his belt, and that was in 2018 as a sophomore. So both Kaufman. and... And Knighton have shown the ability to play well in the return game, and I think that's going to ben- benefit Auburn. But again, I come back to SEC experience, and I got to put Kaufman on- higher on this list. We've got a caller on the
1: line with us once again. The number to call three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Let's head over the phone lines now. We've got Shane on the line with us. Shane, how you doing today, my man? Hey, I'm
3: doing great, guys. How y'all doing?
1: We're doing really well. We got about a minute left until we got to head to a hard break, so I just wanted to let you know that. Yeah,
3: no problem. I was about to say so. You guys remember? Okay, I, I want to give, I want to give Alabama their props. I want to give it Nick Saban because because it, 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 he's the reason why things are the way they are right now. That being said, you remember the time before him when uh, things were a little bit more equal around the SEC, at least in the West, and you would you would get excited, or at least I would. I would get excited about the upcoming season, hundred days out, ninety days out. You count count it down. You you would you were just you're itching to get new information about a new running back or this or that. It, it kind of feels like that for me right now. Like like this is like a new start for Auburn and just like new a new feeling, maybe some new uh, I don't know excitement uh, because we don't know we have no idea what's going to happen. And uh, I don't know. I just felt I felt like sharing that. It just felt like this is maybe a new. on a roll guys. I'll, I'll hang up listen I
1: know you guys gotta go bye appreciate it Shane War Eagle to you as well and I love that he brought that that I like that phone call that is a great phone call you know why because it's positive it's the first time I feel like we're hearing a positive Auburn phone call we'll talk about that and more
0: coming up stay on the line more of the show when we come back
1: Back on On the Line, Noah Garner and Lance Dawn with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook and keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis, News, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook, that's FoxSports983.com. We're going to go back to ranking Auburn seven additions from the transfer portal later on in the show. We've gone through a handful so far. We're down to the top five on the list, so we'll come back to that later, but I want to talk about Shane's phone call. I want to do it justice because he brought positivity to the airwaves. He calls in, says that he's excited for the upcoming football season, and I think that that's something that maybe a lot of Auburn folks are feeling right now, at least I hope they are, because at around the time, the, the weeks leading up to Malzon's firing, even into the week where Malzon was fired, you listen to talk radio, and I think you just talk to anybody in the Auburn community, they were tired. They were fatigued. With the Gus Malzon tenure, with, with the way that Auburn football was trending, it was the same old story every year. And folks were tired of it. And I, I don't think folks disliked Malzon on average. I don't think folks hated the guy i i don't think that that most of them thought that they were a bad that he was a bad coach i think that they were just fatigued with what was going on inside the program and now with a new face a new program a new coaching staff i think there's probably more folks out there feeling like shane that are excited about the upcoming season and now you've got kickoff times for the football season released today or at least a handful of them i think folks are probably getting excited 100 days away from auburn football
2: it's fresh it's something new it's something fun to talk about like Shane said it's like I'm actually wanting to go and look up okay some of these coaching coaching staff additions some of these new players I want to actually see what's going on I'm excited about the competitions I'm excited about the games it's it's refreshing and last season you know with COVID going on and, and some games having to be canceled and, and shortening the season and all of these regulations on, on, on some of these games it's just like it, it, it didn't feel real and it just felt kind of down you know the, I, I talked to you off air a lot it's like you know how Vanderbilt football whenever you're watching games on Saturday and you're watching a primetime CVS matchup and there's such a great atmosphere and the game's really loud it's exciting it's a, it's competitive and then you flip over to SEC Network Plus and you see Vanderbilt taking on East Tennessee State and it just feels like the life has been sucked out of the room I use that <laughs> analogy a lot last the entire 2020 season felt like watching a Vanderbilt football game just the life was sucked out of it it didn't feel real and even the moments that were exciting didn't feel as exciting as they could have been looking at it this year now that I feel like it's almost better that Auburn is starting anew they're starting with a new coach new players new storylines and it to to be able to do it after a year where you just felt like the life was sucked out of you i feel like that's an even better transition into getting back to normalcy so i'm with shane I'm really excited about the season and again just to see the the, the the times and the games get scheduled and things actually start to happen and the trains start to leave the station and everything start to get set in motion it's just really exciting I'm right there with him.
1: well let's give some more of those times out earlier on in the show we went through the week one TV schedule for SEC football now let's go through week two of course Talked a bit about Auburn's kickoff times. Auburn will be at 11 a.m. on SEC Network against Alabama State in Week 2. You got Florida at South Florida at 11 a.m. on ABC. That's a fun matchup when you talk about an in-state battle there. Florida opens the season against Florida Atlantic, then goes to South Florida. South Florida is down at the moment, so this should be this should be a cakewalk for Florida. But if it's not, maybe that draws concerns for the Gators. It's the first road trip for Amory Jones as the starting quarterback at Florida in that full starting job. As the Gators QB, Pittsburgh at Tennessee, 11 a.m. on ESPN. South Carolina at East Carolina, 11 a.m. ESPN 2. About 10 years ago when ECU was decent, that was a game that South Carolina might have struggled with them on. I don't know they got to
3: go
2: on the road let's see how the Gamecocks handle that one back when they had Gardner Minshew and they've currently got a quarterback I believe his name is Holton Owlers I believe that's the name the name of their quarterback he might he might have graduated this season I might be wrong on that he could be still he could still be there East Carolina quarterbacks whenever I go and look through Athlon sports magazines when I get them every season it's like they're there forever
1: I'll be real you probably just said a name that many people around here would not know
2: there you go. I, so it's you just, just gave them information. Just soak it in. I could I could say any <laughs> name. I could say John Smith, and they'd probably, probably be like, yeah, that's East Carolina's quarterback. There you go. But no, Holton, Holton has been semi-decent at East Carolina, but he hasn't been like East Carolina quarterbacks of the past. They've kind of shifted away from the air raid, and I really don't understand why. They might have fired their coach. I don't know too much about the situation, but I, I agree with you. They were in the Birmingham Bowl against Florida in 2015, I believe, and that was a pretty close game, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was like it, it was it, it was florida 2015 yeah, yeah florida played that was the, Auburn's birmingham bowl oh i'm sorry it must it, it was the year before i'm i'm mistaken cuz I, I remember in, anyway anyway they were in the birmingham bowl in the in the early 2010s and they played east carolina east carolina's program not as good as it was now i agree with you if they had a decent quarterback and a decent system this would be somewhat of a competitive game but i would expect to i would expect south carolina to uh, to take that to take that matchup even though south carolina offensively really really bad this season Fun matchup up towards Birmingham. It's not going to be in Birmingham,
1: but UAB at Georgia. Maybe UAB can put up a fight. I remember getting press releases about this game getting scheduled and how exciting it was for UAB fans to be able to go to Athens that can go and get barked at. Yep, so, there you
2: go. Something, something that Levi and I were talking about on the show just a couple of weeks ago is, you know, South Carolina scheduled U- UAB just, just a week or so ago. And so we were asking, like, why hasn't Auburn scheduled UAB yet? That's going to be such a fun matchup. You don't. You do You don't. You don't think Auburn so. Auburn doesn't
1: typically play in-state teams.
2: Just true. Well, they're playing Alabama. Neither is Alabama. Yep. They're, they're well,
1: you're talking about FBS programs. They don't typically right. play those.
2: Right. Right. And they haven't played Troy in a hot minute. They've. Goodness knows when's the last time they played South Alabama, but I'd love to see them schedule one of those three teams.
1: That UAB Georgia game's at 2.30 on ESPN2, so getting some national television love there is UAB. Mercer at Alabama, 3 p.m. SEC Network. Moving on into the nightcap, you got a nice smorgasbord of action in the evening. This is where it gets fun in week two. Texas at Arkansas, 6 o'clock on ESPN. NC State at Mississippi State, 6 o'clock. That one is to be decided on what channel, but it is at 6 o'clock. First SEC game of the entire SEC season. Missouri at Kentucky, 630 on SEC Network. McNeese State at LSU. That game, time to be decided, ESPN Plus, SEC Network Plus time. And then Austin P at Ole Miss, also a time to be decided, ESPN Plus, SEC Network Plus.
2: We talked about that Missouri-Kentucky game a lot yesterday, talking about will Kentucky be prepared, will they actually have a quarterback figured out by that by the time that game rolls around. But I, in my opinion, I don't think they'll be able to. I don't think they're going to be able to solidify a quarterback in just one week, even if they have a name heading into fall camp. That should be a really tough uh, matchup for the Wildcats. And as far as the Texas at Arkansas matchup goes, you know, look, we were talking yesterday. We think that's going to be the first loss of the season for the Razorbacks. But Arkansas could make some noise. I think che- KJ Je- Jefferson is going to be a pretty decent quarterback in the SEC this season. And like we mentioned, Texas got a new coach, got a new quarterback, got a new fa- a lot of new faces on that offense. Can they sustain the 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 decent amount of success that they had? Uh, for the past couple of seasons i think that should be a really fun game and then nc state at mississippi state we'll talk a little bit later in the show about mississippi state as a whole and some of their make or break factors but this nc state team went went eight and four last season albeit they lost to a four four and six kentucky team in their bowl game but they still play pretty decent and they got a quarterback battle to figure out right now they've got two quarterbacks that return that threw for over a thousand yards i can't remember their names right now but they're they're a talented team and that could be an issue for mississippi state if they don't get this air raid figured out
1: they returned eighteen starters. NC State, State does, yeah. Wow. A lot of production coming back for them next season. So that's you know it, they they got blown out by some teams that don't that it doesn't look good on paper with that eight and four record. I mean they were blown out by Virginia Tech. They lost to Miami as well. They lost to the good teams on their schedule or the decent teams as well. That doesn't look good, but. Maybe that returning production, that, that'll be a fun game. That NC State-Mississippi State game, that's a big one for Mississippi State. And like you said, we'll talk about that later on in the show with make-or-break factors for Mississippi State football and 2021 and we'll also keep going through these tv schedules we'll give you week three later on in the show as well i'll plan on giving everybody week three at three o'clock that's also out there you can go and find it on sec network but we don't want to spend too much time here talking on the tv schedule so we'll come back to it later look at week three later on in the show stay tuned for that coming up once again we'll talk about that at about three o'clock when we come back for hour number two I'm going to revisit our conversation, ranking Auburn seven additions from the Transfer Portal in order of importance or necessity. We're into the top five now. Let's remind everybody where we're at right now. I have Marcus Harris, the defensive end from Kansas, at seven. Biderius Knighton at six, the safety from Southeast Missouri State. Your seven was TJ Finley. Yep. And then your six
2: was Marcus Harris.
1: And then your five was Biderius Knighton. And since we've talked about all of those players already, I'm going to get to my five now ecu leota defensive end out of northwestern similar reasons for marcus harris at defensive end there's some competition there for ecu leota coming into it definitely a need i would say anybody in this top five here auburn needed these guys and they're they're going to play a role ecu comes into a situation where Derek hall could be in front of him on the depth chart is ecu leota going to start at auburn this upcoming year also, if he ends up actually sliding in with his hand on the ground on the defensive line, you still have to deal with the likes of guys like Colby Woodens, Zikivas Walker, other names on this defensive line. There's a lot of names on this defensive line. It's just who will rise to be the best players. Right. And so it's great that Auburn brought Liota in because this guy's specialty at Northwestern as a backup and just kind of checking in and pass rushing situations at Northwestern, he's a pass rusher. He's versatile. He's lined up at different spots on the line. That's going to allow Auburn to use him in different ways. And it's important to note, this is the first transfer this coaching staff went out and got. Leota was a priority for this coaching staff, I'm sure. So they're excited to have him on campus. My question is, does he end up rising to be at the top of that defensive line group or those outside linebackers? Does he end up rising to be the top of that group? somebody's got to step up because Auburn didn't have anybody step up on that line last year is he going to be one of those dudes that kind of dictates this for me and so I've got him in the middle of the pack
2: right the reason I have Leota a little bit higher on this list is because I've talked about it a lot Auburn whenever they were able to get home in the backfield that this defensive line was whenever they were last season they still couldn't get home they still couldn't sack the quarterback they're going to need somebody that can rush on the edge and actually get home and and sack some guys and that's the reason why I have Leota higher is I believe he eventually over time we'll be able to do that and as far as depth goes you know guys like Derek hall i agree with you he'll probably end up being higher on the depth chart uh as when the season begins but i think leota's definitely got a shot you talk about there's a lot of different names on this defensive line this defense has so much depth who will rise i think leota will be one of those two first two guys that actually gets a chance to to rush the passer consistently and as his season progresses at Auburn, I think he's going to get a lot more chances. We talked earlier about, earlier in the offseason about the comparison to T.J. Neal. And the more I've developed my thought on it, I think Northwestern, the players that they have brought in are trending in a different direction than Illinois' was back in the early 2010s. I think looking at their nfl draft prowess the way that they've been able to get some guys in the league over the past couple of seasons and for auburn to steal a guy like echo Leoto, who everybody thought was going to be one of the faces one of the big names on this wildcat defense next season for auburn to go out and get him i think is significant so i have him a little bit higher and i'll talk more about him later on at number four i have donovan kaufman uh the, as do i so th- this right. is a good time to talk about this as as far as kaufman at four I again I had Bidarius Knight and at five, and the reason I have Kaufman one step higher, even though he's he's five foot nine, is simply because of SEC experience. Even though there was only two games of it. You look at him statistically, it was games against LSU and against Texas m two top twenty opponents at the time. Um let's see, fifteen total tackles, eight solo, seven assisted, but he he was one of the leaders on this Vanderbilt defense during the two games that he was actually able to play
1: Vanderbilt folks are talking about this guy this upcoming year if he was still in Nashville as being the top player on the Vanderbilt defense next season right
2: right and as far as his his ability outside playing cornerback I really like him as a returner he had 36 yards against Texas A&M and then he had 101 yards on three returns against LSU that's 137 yards total 27.4 average and then of course he had that one touchdown he only had one pass deflection last season but again SEC experience I think is incredibly valuable and I think it usurps a guy like by Darius Knight and so that's the reason why I have Kaufman higher.
1: I like Kaufman's longevity, and that's another reason why I have him in front of By Darius Knight. And the fact that he's got four years of eligibility. I also think, from a talent perspective, what he already showed in only two games at Vanderbilt, also his close proximity to Derek Mason in that time there, and the fact that Derek Mason probably really wanted to bring this guy to Auburn for this upcoming year because he knows what he was getting in Donovan Kaufman when he was on the defense. And you also have to remember Derek Mason is working with the safeties. They're so familiar with each other. I think that puts him in front of. Darius Knighton on the depth chart. This is the replacement for Chris Thompson. I wouldn't be shocked if Donovan Kaufman starts stealing playing time from Ladarius Tennyson at safety. Yep. Because Kaufman is a more natural fit at the safety position because that, that's the position he's been playing all this time. Tennyson was moved from quarterback slash nickelback, still trying to find a home. and We don't know if the safety position is the home for Ladarius Tennyson. He was definitely at the top of the depth chart when the spring ended. And that's a big part of why Chris Thompson Jr. ended up transferring out. But I would not be shocked with four years left under Donovan Kaufman. He's going to end up starting before it's all said and done. When Smoke Monday ends up moving on to the NFL, ends up graduating after this year, he is going to step in because there's not going to be a Baderius Knight next year. This is Donovan Kaufman is the heir to the safety position after Smoke Monday leaves. So this is a great move for Auburn, something that they needed to go ahead and get into the program because now they have some experience in front of those two or three safeties I can't remember exactly how many they brought in. I know they brought in at least two safeties from this previous recruiting class that they signed on signing day, like Jawan, Gaston, guys like that. This is big that they brought him in with already some experience to be able to step in right away and have two years of SEC experience under his belt to be a starter. That's huge that he's already going to have two years of SEC experience to step in as a starter. So we'll wrap up our number one of on the line on the other side of this break. Stay tuned. We'll keep ranking the... Auburn seven additions from the transfer portal in order of importance we'll be back in just a moment back on on the line Noah Gardner Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama when we wrap up our number one here let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight Hey, everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. The iHeart Music Awards are on Fox starting at 7. You can catch new hour-long episodes of Station 19, Grey's Anatomy, and Rebel from 7 to 10 on ABC. Some movie selections for tonight. Michael J. Fox stars Impact to the Future on Paramount at 6, and then Part 2 is on at 8.30. In Live Sports, the NBA playoff schedule has three games on with two on TNT. At 6.30, get the action started with Game 3 between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat. The Lakers did just enough to steal home court away from the suns can lebron and the lakers take the lead in the series game three at nine the denver nuggets and the portland Blazers continue their series at 9 30 on nba tv the sec baseball tournament continues all day with four games on sec network two teams will be sent home as the field trims going into the fourth round of the tournament if you're missing football there's spring league football on fs1 at six with the conquerors versus the linemen i'm noah gardner and that's what's on tv tonight Back on On the Line, Noah Garner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Fun hour here so far, and we've only got about three minutes left in the first hour. We've been working on this for days now, and we're just going to continue to chip away at it predicting the first loss for every sec team in 2021 we got the idea for this exercise based off of brian stoltz's article on auburn wires just want to give credit where credit's due there he he took a stab at this and predicted the first loss of every sec team it's now we're doing the same it's just taking us several days to try and get through it on the show and so now we have done four teams so far we've done Four of the SEC West, that is. Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, and LSU. And now it's on to Mississippi State, who in the second hour will be giving you our make-or-break factors for Mississippi State football in 2021, continuing that SEC series that we've been doing through the offseason as a way to preview the 2021 year inside this conference. Lance, who do you think the first loss is for Mississippi State in 2021?
2: Well, it's definitely coming within the month of September. It's definitely coming in the first month, and it's probably coming in their non-conference slate you look at the three games that they have to play to open the season Louisiana Tech NC State and then they have to take a trip to Memphis to play the Tigers really really tough there I, I know Memphis has not been as good as they were still just they a win couple team of, every year exactly just a couple of seasons ago but they're still offensively elite and they always bring the firepower there. And there's consistently an eight or nine win program. NC State, like you mentioned, 18 starters returning, eight and four team last season, going to be really, really tough, even though that is a home game. One of those first three games, I feel like they're going to lose. And if they don't, they'll probably lose to LSU or Texas A&M before their bye week. I'm gonna say that they lose to Memphis. I'm gonna say that that's their first loss. I think they'll be able to get over the hump against NC State simply because that's a home game, and I feel like they, they get tripped up on the road. They are gonna get tripped up on the road, and like you mentioned, there were some teams last season that NC State got blown out by one of them being or one of them being Miami. They lost to Clemson, then they lost in the bowl game to a four and six Kentucky squad. If you can't beat a four and six Kentucky team, you're turning most of that team. You're probably not going to be able to beat a Mississippi State team on the road that is in year two of figuring out this air raid offense.
1: Just play devil's advocate with you. I thought you were the guy that was super high up on returning production.
2: I am really high on <laughs> returning production, but you—I I was looking for NC State in returning production in the articles that I have, and I couldn't find them in the top forty. Really? I could not. Interesting. I could not.
1: Maybe the small amount of returning starter. Maybe the large amount of returning starters they have coming back doesn't actually make up. Maybe it's like the eighty-twenty rule. Eighty percent of your eighty percent of your whatever you've got every 80% of your production is only in the 20% of your of your program I was
2: confused about that and I trust Bill Connolly I I trust the things that he do he does at ESPN I was looking I was like well I I guess if they're if they're returning starters the production that they that they lost was was significant but yeah I I think I think it's going to be really tough for NC State to win that game on the road I'm going to pick I'm going to pick Mississippi State to go start 2-0 and and then lose to Memphis. I'm going to say they lose to NC State. Something about
1: the fact that the air raid does not – like it, your offense may be off the field at 15 to 20 seconds because of three straight incomplete passes, and that killed the Mississippi State defense. I think it comes against NC State in week two. I'm not high up on the Bulldogs. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll come back with hour number two at 3 o'clock. We'll take you through the week three schedule, times, dates, channels. we got college football.
0: are on the line. 502.
1: Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 at Fox Board Central, Alabama. Number to call 334 321 1390. We're taking your calls. Find us on Twitter at Point Gardner at Dahl Pound. Starting off hour number two, very similar to the way we started off hour number one, going through and ranking. Based off of importance, Auburn 7 transfer additions into the program based on our Radio Alabama Sports article, tracking Auburn football's additions to the transfer portal. Inside that article, give you a brief blurb on all of the players that have come into the program as well as where Auburn could go in the future. Be sure to go and check that out on uh, RadioAlabamaSports.net as well as keeping up with all of the content the show is putting out there. we got a lot of our, our podcasts are there, articles related to what we're talking about on the show. And... Beyond that, as well. There's a lot of great content there, so make sure you go and find that on radioalabamasports.net and then on Facebook and Twitter as well. Keep up with it. Once again, Radio Alabama Sports. We're into our top three now. We have climbed the ladder. I believe that's correct. Yes, we've both done seven through four now we're
2: into the top three Lance take it away number three so at number three I have Eku Leota, and we were talking about it briefly in the first hour the reason that I have him higher is you were saying can he be one of these guys that rises to the top of the depth chart with guys like Colby Wooden and Derek Hall and will he be able to actually be productive and get after get after the uh the quarterback And I've got some numbers here that I believe reflect the reason why that I have him at number three. We've talked about this a little bit briefly. In his two seasons at Northwestern, he had 25 tackles, but 10 of them were tackles for loss. He had six and a half sacks over the course of those two seasons but against top 25 teams he only has 11 tackles and one and a half sacks that's over the course of six games against top 25 teams so not the most productive against against top 25 talent but he's played well statistically when you look at him overall i think he's going to be one of these guys that's able to rise to the top of the depth chart that's the only reason why I i have him at three reminder that he's only played 14 career games and he played seven last season and he was hurt for for a small portion of the season. Another reason that I have him high, and we talked about this again early in the first hour. Northwestern produced two first-round picks last season. One of them was on the defensive side of the football. They had two defensive picks. One was in the fifth round to the Chargers. It was actually defensive end. I think Northwestern's ability to find find talent on this defense is is is, is legitimate. And whenever you look at a guy like Echo Liotta, you know we talked about it uh, briefly again earlier. He, he was one of these guys that was set up to be the face of this Wildcat defense in 2021, and he left, and a lot of fans were really upset about it because he, they thought that he was going to be something special. I think it's, it harkens back to what I've said about Harson and his ability to find diamonds in the rough. I think this is another one of those guys, and again, it's really, really important to note that Auburn went after this guy first. He was the first guy that he, he was the first guy that Auburn got a commitment from. That's the reason why I have him at three. I think he's gonna pan out. I think the numbers reflect that. And then I think Auburn's Auburn's desire to get him also reflects it.
1: I had him a little bit further down on my list just because there's so much competition there and I've been underwhelmed with Leota in the games where he played against good teams. And you go and look at his stats and his numbers against good teams, he really didn't produce. Just go and look at the game log. Can you pull up his game log real quick?
2: yes I can I actually have it up for you so the the um the The mass majority of his sacks and his tackles for loss come against teams like Purdue and Maryland it was literally against Purdue most of it was I was going to say that but his his championship game against Ohio State he only had one tackle against number 10 Wisconsin he had three total tackles and one sack in that Purdue game he had two sacks a forced fumble and three tackles um let's see take and a look.
1: Wisconsin's not even good they w- weren't good last
2: year yep they were ranked in the top 10 but they were not a good program number 10 Minnesota in 2019 only one tackle number 20 Iowa in 2019 two total tackles both of them were assisted and the 52 to three loss against number four Ohio State uh, two seasons ago he had three tackles one was solo, and against 20 number 25 Stanford he had one total tackle. So, but but again, I think I think another way to look at that as well. He was only a freshman in that in that season, and that's he was fair. only playing seven games. So, they were they were using him sparingly. But you're right in the games that he did get to play, he didn't make an impact.
1: Right, at least against good talent, against or good really, teams, top
2: twenty five teams.
1: Yeah, and so that that's that's why I've got him a little bit further down on the list. Kobe Wooden has produced against some good teams. Derek Hall has produced against some good teams. I think those guys are a little bit more ready to rise to the top of the depth chart than maybe Eku Leota, but I still think it's a great get for Auburn to have more players that can be versatile and also provide you the ability to pass rush because Auburn sorely needs that. So that's why I did have him on my top five, just a little bit further down on the list. And number three for me, Tony Fair, nose tackle UAB. This is a good get for Auburn. Now, for some reason that week we had to fend off people saying, Auburn's out here getting people from UAB and Kansas. It's like, fine sure whatever that's true but and he may have been a journeyman across some programs like indiana state into the juco and then out of that back to uab but Auburn needs help at nose tackle right now auburn doesn't have any true nose tackles on this roster really tyrone truesdale can play nose tackle and then after that you had jeremiah wright and then guess what happened he got hurt so all you've got right now is tyrone truesdale And Tyrone Truesdale really has been the most underwhelming player on Auburn's defensive line in his entire stint at Auburn. Because all you hear about is how strong this guy is, how freakishly strong this player is. And then it doesn't materialize onto the field. Now, maybe he's been playing out of position. Maybe things just haven't clicked, and the nose tackle spot is where it will click for Truesdale under this new defensive coaching staff. But if it didn't click in four years under Rodney Garner – Man, I like what 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 faith do we have for year five for Truesdale, year six for Truesdale now. So seeing Tony Fair come in and, and we talked with Christian Clemente of Auburnsports.com and he'll be on the show with us tomorrow, actually, for the first hour. That's gonna be fun. He's gonna be in studio, so we're looking forward to that tomorrow with Christian Clemente. He says that Tony Fair could start. This is a big get for Auburn.
2: That's the everything you just said is the reason why I have him very high on this list, and we'll get to that later in the show. But I agree with you. I think this guy's gonna be something. He's gonna be something special at number three for me. Oh, well, I already did my no- yeah, number. Yeah, we're three into the top Echoleo. two now. The my top man. two right now let's take a look I, I accidentally had these guys out of order so Dreshawn Miller is number is number two on my list three-star prospect according to the transfer portal the only four-star prospect coming out of high school that is in this transfer class for Auburn so far we don't know who else Auburn's going to get in the portal but so far he's the only four-star coming out of high school he missed all of 2019 due to injury but in 2020 Miller had a 77.6 coverage grade and the fifth best force incompletion rate in the power five according to pro football focus we talked about that earlier on in the offseason whenever we got him according to Pro Football Focus he was Auburn's best get in the transfer portal one of the better corners in the entire country and he'll be battling for playing time between Pritchett McCreary and Jalen Simpson but I think Pritchett's going to get lost in the fold a little bit and that's going to give Miller the ability to have some more playing time
1: so you say that though but you bring up Pro Football Focus numbers and according to Pro Football Focus the highest graded returning player on the defense for Auburn is Nehemiah Pritchett Pritchett.
2: yep Uh, and I've had that conversation with Zach Blackerby of locked on Auburn and I just I I have this feeling that 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 Miller will be able to come in and will be able to usurp Pritchett I understand the numbers I'm and Pritchett was obviously Auburn's best graded player according to pro football focus I just think as far as necessity goes he's not somebody that Auburn needs but he's so talented I don't see why Auburn couldn't use him and one of these guys has to go and I don't think it's going to be McCreary or Simpson
1: Oh, I've got Dresden Miller at two, and I think Auburn needs him. 100%. First of all, in college football, the way that it's trending inside the SEC, everybody's passing the ball. You need four quarterbacks. This is a big need for Auburn, though, but look. Marco Domio transferred, Kamal Haddon transferred, you absolutely, without a doubt, you needed Dreshawn Miller now that those guys transferred out. And Miller still has two years of eligibility left, so he could be back next season alongside Jalen Simpson and Nehemiah Pritchett as well, because you know McCreary's gone after this year. He was needed, not only for this year, but for the future, if you can convince him to stick around and not head on to the NFL after this year. This is a huge gift for Auburn for all the reasons that you added. I think Dreshawn Miller's going to end up being a star. I'm looking forward to it. And I do think that he's one of the top quarterbacks coming in. As far as talent, if I was ranking this top seven as far as talent was concerned, Dreshman Miller would be at the top. But I was ranking this off of importance, and I have someone that you had very low on your list at the top. And we'll get to that after this phone call. We're going to head to the phone lines now. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety. We got Terry from Talladega on the line with us. Terry, how you doing today, my man?
4: I'm great, guys. How y'all doing?
1: We're doing really well. Hoping this rain stays away, but uh, hopefully, hopefully, it's clear weather up in your neck of the woods.
4: Well, quite honestly, we could use a little bit of rain maybe to cool the temperatures off a little bit. That's fair. Um, I know you guys are talking a lot about defense, and and I realize that Auburn's been heavy in the portal on defense simply based on the numbers and the amount of guys that are in the portal on defense. But you kind of get the feeling that Auburn's going strong on defense because um, the coaching staff is so awesome. And Brian Arson may take a while for the offense to take over, and because defense, great defense doesn't win anymore, guys. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. People think, well, got to play great defense, run the ball. Well, that's it. that's good if you play in 1982. <laughs> so this is 2021 yeah i mean you look at alabama so, now they've changed alabama did not win with great defense that's sure, although defense wasn't bad their offense was the dominant force
1: that's right alabama and, and I, just, I just don't
4: understand people's line of thinking when they said let's play great davis and run the football uh this just blows my mind that people are that ignorant
1: it's not going to win you an sec championship it hasn't won georgia an sec championship not going to win the west yeah and it's not. I, I agree with you. I, and it's and it's held Auburn back probably a little bit. Their offense hasn't been a, a driving force in this league. You look at what Alabama's done. And Nick Saban has talked about this in interviews. I agree with you. Nick Saban has changed the way that his team is built to be able to scorch you with offense, and then on the defense. If you're only giving up twenty three points a game, which isn't the defenses of Alabama ten years ago, 23 three's still good but the best part about their team is the offense and that'll win you national championships and and like you said in 2021
4: remember guys a great defense can only assure you of a tie
1: <laughs> that's true
4: that's they can, true they can only assure you of a tie they can't win a game for you because everybody says well defense can score but how what six seven times a year on a great defense
1: yeah and, and you know terry i think you're I i don't know how long you've been listening but we've been ranking our list of of the additions in the transfer portal, I think you're really going to like who's number one on my list. I don't want to reveal it right now, but I think you're really going to like it because I am going to talk offense.
4: Well, I mean, I just – like I said, you know, Bo Nix, who I'm not very high and you guys know that. Um, you know, his best, best year is his freshman year, nine and three, correct? That that was a, a largely in part to the great defense. And and the, I, I, I shouldn't say great defense. That defense wasn't great. It was it was good, but it wasn't great because great defenses don't give up the numbers they gave up against Alabama. So they, had they, had an elite defensive
1: line. they had an elite defensive line, and, and I think some of the other position groups were coming along, but it was, but you have to also say, though, maybe the defense was held back a little bit, though, because of the offense. Not necessarily in that Alabama game, but they, they were held back throughout that season because of the offense.
4: Well, I mean, the, the, the thing that's frustrating, I mean, I know this is a dead issue. I realize that Gus Malzahn's not there anymore, but for God to be a, a so-called offensive guru and the offense to suck, uh, it's just repetitively, a uh, year after year under him, you know, that just blows my mind. Yeah, at least that guy's not there anymore, right? (laughs) No, exactly. And then we're going to see if Brian Harsin's a better quarterback coach, and I think he is. But hey, I know Mike Bobo is. We'll see. I mean, that's the bottom line. But you have to win with offense nowadays, guys. The days of winning the defense—if if you you grew up—if you you know—you think this is 1982 and Ronald Reagan's in office, fine. But that doesn't work that way anymore. It just doesn't.
1: Yeah, sometimes I uh I, I like to look back to the 80s and, and, and kind of wish I grew up in that Well, I graduated
4: high school in the 80s, 1985, so yeah. I know. I mean, I, I played high school football. We ran the wishbone when I was in high school. I mean, there's your throwback there. That's right. I mean, you can't throw out of the wishbone. You know, you know how long the wishbone would last today? They say, well, Army runs the wishbone. Well, that's because Army has a overwhelmingly dominant offensive line, and Army plays, you know, average schedules.
1: Yeah, the below average
4: yeah they can they can rise up and beat a, a decent team every now and then but if they play in the sec what losing record
1: yeah oh yeah 100 percent,
4: no doubt hey gosh i'll take care appreciate it terry i'll be listening in.
2: i think it's very similar to georgia tech as well when they were running the triple option under paul johnson it's like every every Best third they could do with
1: seven wins right
2: every third year it'd be like oh my gosh they won eight or, or eight or nine games what even happened then you'll go look the next season's like "Eh, three and nine they they it's the the option doesn't work consistently
1: on the other side of this break I'm going to give you my top the the most important transfer for Auburn football it may shock some of you guys we'll talk about it on the other side of this break
0: you are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. we'll be right back
1: Power number two of on the line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Hope everybody's having a great Thursday, working for the weekend. Look at what's going on at the SEC tournament. Ole Miss trying to send Georgia home. Two outs, top nine, Rebels up 4-0. One more out from advancing to take on Tennessee tomorrow at 3 o'clock on SEC Network. Actually, I'm not sure if they'll play Tennessee tomorrow. I'll have to fact check that. We'll see after this game where they slot in. I'm not sure if they play Tennessee tomorrow. Tennessee might be playing the loser of one of these two games. So, excuse me on that one. The the two games coming up that are in the winners bracket. So, excuse me on that one. I'm a little confused by the SEC Network website. We'll make sure that we clarify that after this ball game to see where they're playing. But later on in the SEC tournament, you got six seed Florida against ten seed Alabama. 4:30 SEC Network. Crimson Tide. Have and my book played their way into the NCAA tournament even though they were on the bubble coming into this thing I think that they have played their way in now four seed Vanderbilt one seed Arkansas eight o'clock SEC network that'll be a fun one that'll be a fun one too 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 bad those two teams meet this early on in the tournament in the quarterfinal round but yep. they, they're definitely well on their way for possibly meeting again later on in the championship game
2: yeah just well I don't I don't understand what's going on here on this website though cuz you got your winners bracket, you got your losers bracket and they're crossing between each other. It is just a, how how does this work out? So I'm not sure who Tennessee's going to be playing tomorrow. But regardless, it, I think it's very entertaining to see a team like Mississippi State run rule Florida and then proceed to get run ruled themselves against Tennessee. I just I I find that entertaining.
1: Yeah, Mississippi State did not show out well. Tennessee beating Mississippi State 12 to 2 to eliminate the Bulldogs. Mississippi State comes into Hoover, a national seed, probably still going to host. I would say definitely still going to host. They end up only scoring three runs across two games and getting knocked out, run-ruled both times. Brutal. Said that we were going to bring this out at three. We're a little bit late on it, but the SEC today released TV schedules for the first three weeks of the football season. Let's get to week three now. New Mexico at Texas A&M at 11 on SEC Network. Mississippi State at Memphis at three on ESPN2 georgia southern at arkansas at three on sec dev work into the night schedule it's like all night games you got south carolina at georgia six o'clock espn auburn at penn state 6 30 abc i wonder College how many folks day. i wonder how many auburn fans are going to be up there in happy valley i would imagine they're going to travel the people are excited you put up your hand you're like i'm gonna go
2: i'm gonna be there for sure.
1: Central Michigan at LSU, six thirty SEC Network, two at Ole Miss, seven o'clock ESPN two. Stanford at Vanderbilt, a game that I'm personally very excited about. Seven o'clock ESPNU. Chattanooga, Tennessee, still waiting on the time there. That one's gonna be on ESPN Plus, SEC Network Plus. Southeast Missouri State at Missouri. That one also waiting on a time. ESPN Plus, SEC Network Plus, and then Tennessee's Tech at Tennessee as well. Also on those digital locations. ESPN Plus, SEC Network Plus. All three of those games, you're waiting on a time to be decided so week week three as always weeks two and week three not your best weeks in the world but that's what you're looking at some fun games in the evening auburn penn state south carolina georgia and stanford vanderbilt
2: yeah stanford and vanderbilt they get to have a little study night there out on the field two prestigious academic <laughs> schools get to sit on the field and you know just have a group study for their next test uh but no i i think that's going to be a really fun matchup clark lee in his first season with vanderbilt we talked about it a couple of days ago actually we talked about it on monday some make or break factors for Vanderbilt is can they get through their non-conference slate and this is going to be a really tough matchup for them Stanford not who they used to be under David Shaw but still a formidable opponent obviously just another power five school that Vanderbilt will have to play Vanderbilt struggled against even semi-decent group of five competition in the past this is going to be a really tough test for them I'm not going to say whether or not they win or lose but it should be a fun matchup As far as Auburn-Penn State goes, I mean, that's got to be college game day. We've been talking about it. It's got to be college game day. The only other game that they could go to is Alabama-Florida, and I don't think that's going to be as legitimate of a matchup as Auburn-Penn State. And I accidentally skipped
1: over that one as well. Alabama-Florida is at 230 on CBS, but... I would imagine that game day is going to save Alabama for maybe later on in the year for another game. I agree. Or, or well, then again, they would be going to Florida in that situation, so, so it's possible. It depends on where those two teams are ranked. But you think that they would take the opportunity, considering their prime time game on ESPN? You think that, or not ESPN? ABC? You think that they would take that opportunity to go to Happy Valley for a game that doesn't traditionally happen too much? But that's a look at the week three schedule, and so we've got weeks one through three already mapped out by the SEC. What channel? What times that those teams will be playing on? You got all that. You can go find that on the SEC website now. Ole Miss just took down Georgia four to zero in the SEC tournament. They advance now in to the uh, they advance now in that losers bracket of the SEC tournament. Still waiting to see who they'll be playing tomorrow. We'll keep a we'll keep an eye on that as they update the bracket on the SEC website. We previewed this for just a moment before we came into this segment. We've been talking about Auburn's seven
2: editions from the transfer portal in order of importance or necessity. I want your top guy. My number one guy is Tony Fair. And there are a couple of reasons for it, and we were talking a little bit about it earlier. Three-star prospect coming out of high school, been somewhat of a journeyman, obviously, from in, from South Bend, Indiana, went to play at Indiana State, then went to play at UAB. There are a couple of reasons that I have this guy at number one. Statistically, not the most impressive guy in the world. In 2019, he only had 32 tackles, one sack, two forced fumbles. In 2020, only had 21 total tackles. Ten of those were so low, only one sack. Not statistically the most impressive, but the reason that I have him so high is because not only did UAB think this guy was somebody important to pick up so did Auburn again I talk about Brian Harson and Bill Clark finding guys that are diamonds in the rough Bill Clark I, any guy that he recruits I trust whenever they commit to his program I trust that they're somebody legitimate that can actually play no matter their star rating I feel the same way about Brian Harson now that he's going after guys like Tony Fair I think it's really important that both these coaching staff saw something special in Tony Fair and you talked about the depth for Auburn as far as the necessity goes this is something that Auburn desperately needs they need a nose to tackle they need a really big strong guy up front something that I was going to point out that you pointed out about Truesdale is that over the course of his four seasons at Auburn he's been incredibly underwhelming and all you hear from this coaching staff is about how impressive he is in practice and how strong and how huge of a human being he is but we never see that pan out on the field Auburn needs a fresh face on that defensive line to come in and shore it up and get some and get some depth As far as Jeremiah Jeremiah Wright is concerned, you hit the you you were right. He he's injured. Auburn needs depth there. They need it. It's a necessity. Auburn has to have another nose tackle. They need a starter there, and they need a starter. And I don't think Tyrone Truesdale is the answer after seeing him for four seasons. I think you got to go like with a guy like Tony Fair. And it's something that Zach Blackerby and I talked about on his Locked on Auburn podcast is this is a guy that's playing to get into the league. This is his last chance. This is his last stop. He's playing for his family. He's playing for himself. He's playing. He's playing. If this is he's putting everything out on the table. This is his last chance. I think he's going to come into the fall practice and he's going to shock some people. I think he's going to take that starting job. He's my number one guy.
1: We do have knowledge now of where Ole Miss will be playing next in the SEC tournament. Ole Miss, once again, knocking off Georgia, eliminating Georgia in that elimination game. 4-0 to Georgia going home now. Mississippi State was eliminated earlier today by Tennessee. Tennessee will be playing the loser of Alabama and Florida. And Ole Miss will be playing the loser of Vanderbilt and Arkansas. So you could possibly get that fun Vanderbilt-Ole Miss rematch from last night where Vanderbilt won on a walk-off winner at last night's second round game. The winner... Uh, Florida, Alabama, the winner of Vanderbilt and Arkansas, will advance into the semifinal round where it goes back to being single elimination. So still elimination games for Ole Miss and Tennessee tomorrow in that loser's bracket, but they advance to play the losers over your night games tonight at 4.30 between Florida and Alabama and then at 8, Vanderbilt and Arkansas. So that's what the SEC tournament looks like right now in Hoover. I'm now going to give everybody my top transfer for Auburn football based off of importance who Auburn needed the most in the transfer portal Lance you had him last on your list I have flipped the script and said TJ Finley is the most important transfer for Auburn football in 2021 even if he doesn't start for the Tigers and I'm not looking at, and everybody knows my opinion on this, I'm not looking for T.J. Finley to come into the program and take Bo Nix's job. I think that this is Bo Nix's job to lose. I expect Bo Nix to be the starter next year. I expect him to play better. But I expect him to play better in part because T.J. Finley is on this roster now. Bo Nix needs to be put into the pressure cooker, as you have said time and time again on the show throughout this time that we have followed T.J. Finley's recruitment to Auburn. And T.J. Finley is now going to provide pressure for Bo Nix. Much-needed pressure to now where he has to look over his shoulder. Now he has to improve, or else T.J. Finley will take his job and possibly improve the quarterback position for Auburn. Either way, whether T.J. Finley starts or Bo Nix starts, the quarterback position at Auburn needs to improve, and I don't see a scenario at this point where Auburn's quarterback position doesn't improve. Either Bo Nix raises his game, and he gets better as a quarterback, or T.J. Finley takes his job and Auburn gets better at quarterback yep one of those two things will occur the other point in this if T.J. Finley doesn't win the job Auburn desperately needed a backup Bo Nix goes down with injury if that happens and he's a running quarterback so there's always a chance if I'm shocked that he really hasn't dealt with injury throughout his first two years with as much with, with as much pressure he receives from opposing defensive lines and linebackers, how many times players end up in his face, how many hits he takes, not only running the ball but also in the backfield, I'm amazed that he's really stayed as healthy as he has considering he's not the largest quarterback in the world. He's been relatively durable these first two years, very durable these first two years. But if he were to go down with injury, Auburn's doomed. It's catastrophic. It may not be catastrophic now that T.J. Finley is onto the roster. This was desperately needed for a variety of of reasons and TJ Findley doesn't even have to start for it to be desperately needed also think you're looking at the future after Bo Nix when you bring in a guy like TJ Findley and with the fact that this Auburn coaching staff brought not one but two quarterbacks in since they've stepped onto campus with this new coaching staff I don't think that they see Demetrius Davis as the future of this program at the quarterback position TJ Findley I think they do see the future
2: Right, and I, I talked earlier in the show about how I, I have a lot more faith in Demetrius Davis than I do in T.J. Finley, simply because I've seen him against legitimate SEC competition play poorly. That All, all, all that to say, he still has SEC starting experience over a quarterback that has never taken a collegiate snap. So I, I'll i give you that one. I agree. And as far as what he's going to do to force Bo Nix to, make it, to actually play, I completely agree with you. I i I think that's a really good point I still put Finley at seven because of personal personal (laughs) I I just can't I just can't pick him over Demetrius Davis if I'm going to go with one of the two I got to go with D Davis but I I completely understand how this is just nothing but a good thing for Auburn
1: on the other side of this break we take a look at Mississippi State in our SEC series on make or break factors for 2021 you're listening to on the line
0: Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl on
1: ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Thirty minutes out from the drive with Bill Cameron. Listen to the drive with Bill Cameron every weekday for four to six. Following on the line on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Bill and Dan take your calls, diving into all of the latest and hottest stories in Auburn athletics and beyond. Once again, from four to six. The drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Pack. It's time to continue our SEC series on make-or-break factors. We're taking a look at Mississippi State. What are the make-or-break factors for the Bulldogs in 2021? Lance, give us your first one.
2: I think the most important thing is they've got to be able to get this air raid offense under control. Mississippi State struggled offensively last year, finishing 104th in the country. They gained only 340 yards per game, and they were 109th. In points per game at twenty one point four. After that LSU game, where they just shocked the country, outside of you, you thought Mississippi State was going to win that game. They just shocked the entire country. They uh, they they fell apart, and a lot of that was due in part to KJ Costello continuing to throw interceptions. They went to a guy in Will Rogers uh, as a freshman down the stretch, and he played decent, but he didn't play well um and and that's another one of my make or break factors is can will rogers improve in year two 11 touchdowns seven picks it's not even will rogers job necessarily right now he's got to earn it according to mike leach through the spring exactly so it it's it's can they figure this air raid offense out and if so who's going to be the guy that controls and if it's will rogers can he improve in year two i think it starts with this offense because this defense was not terrible last season i think they've got some building blocks and they can improve on that side of the ball but it it starts with the it starts with the air raid you got to be able to get it under control because the scheme will work you just got to be able to figure out how to make it work
1: I don't know if the scheme will work in the SEC. I'm curious about that. And I said that when Mike Leach came into the conference. But looking at this quarterback battle, he's got to go against Will Rogers, that is, the incumbent at the moment. He's got to go against Lovertich, the USA transfer. Jack Abraham from Southern Miss, who I was pretty high on when Almer was playing Southern Miss a couple of years ago. He was just a young whippersnapper at Southern Southern Miss back in 2018, but I thought he could toss the football around the yard. And then there's a couple of freshmen that can maybe factor into the mix. I think Will, Will Rogers ends up winning the job because I've never been Uh, low was not really that great at South Alabama and Abraham's good but I I don't know if he's better than Will Rogers who already has SEC experience Mm -hmm. and I thought did some good things at times for Mississippi State last year you talk about that defense as well they gave up 28 points a game last year I'm with you I don't think it looked bad they hung in the Georgia game because of that defense well
2: you look at them statistically that was 58th nationally out of 128 teams they're in the top half giving up 28 points per game and then whenever I say building blocks they're bringing back 85 percent of returning production on the defense side of the football that's 16th nationally so they've got building blocks they've got things that they can continue to improve on and then they've got guys coming back I think it I think the defense is going to play well this year
1: The other thing about Mississippi State is the air raid was so bad on offense where they only scored a little over 21 points a game, defense is out on the field a ton. They're going to give up 28 points a game. I don't know why everybody's super high up on this Mississippi State team, though. I'm a little bothered by that because we saw ESPN's FBI project them for like eight wins, more than Auburn. Like, what? Where is this coming from? These guys won three or four games last year and they didn't look good doing it.
2: Yeah, and then and to to couple that as far as like numbers go with the FPI and all these different ratings and stuff, Mississippi State had the worst offensive line in the SEC according to Pro Football Focus. If you want to talk about pretty bad, concerned that throw the ball sixty times a game. Exactly. You want to talk about all these different numbers that ESPN is throwing out there to try and prove that Mississippi State should be really good this season. Look at what they did last season as as a unit on the offensive line, and then look at what they're returning this season 72 percent of their returning production on the offensive side of the football that's 62nd nationally I don't want that amount of production coming back from a unit that only mustered 21 points per game and had the worst offensive line in the SEC I don't want that a make or break factor for me since
1: we're shifting away now from some of the things on the field talked about that offense a bit in the quarterback battle and I'll get back to the offense in a little bit but I want to look at the schedule here for me it's what do they do in the first six games because their season could be over after the first six games when you look at their schedule. You've already talked about it a little bit when we were talking about their first loss earlier in the show, but they open up against Louisiana Tech at three o'clock, which Louisiana Tech's a bit of a tricky conference USA team. They've had some good offenses, not some not some so great defenses out there, but some good offenses. Could they score enough to make that game a little interesting if Mississippi State has some hiccups on the offensive side of the ball? Once again, I go back to this Mississippi State team made a bowl game last year but they barely beat Tulsa and then there was that brawl at the end of the game that everybody remembers I mean these guys struggled with Tulsa I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility they only scored like 26 points in that game against Tulsa last year I wouldn't put it out of the realm of possibility they only score like 26 against Louisiana Tech still win but it doesn't look attractive let's just hold off on the brawl after the ball game you know after that you got NC State at home then you go to Memphis so two tough non-conference games after that Tough non-conference schedule to open up. For Mississippi State, that is, that is struggling on the offensive side of the ball. And I'm not sure year two that the air raid's is just going to be firing off on all cylinders. I'm not sure if it works at this level in the SEC where teams have much better defenders than they do out in the Pac-12, but we'll see. Then they've got a host LSU. They're at Texas A&M, a bye week, and then they've got Alabama. These guys start out 0-3 in conference play at least. And then my question is, what do you do in those non-conference games? You gotta go. Two and, two and one, three and oh, in, in in those non conference games. You got to go three and oh, those non conference games just to be three and three after your first six. Right. Their season could be over after the first six games. Yep. If they lose one of those non conference games, then you're looking at two and four. Now, the back half is a little bit more favorable, but they'll still have losses to Auburn and Ole Miss in that mix, and then not easy games against Kentucky and Arkansas, just depending on what they look like at the end of the year. I. I see a world where Mississippi State doesn't make a bowl game if those first three games don't go swimmingly for the Bulldogs.
2: Right, right. It, it, what I wrote down, I completely agree with you, is can they can they come out of the first five games of the season with a winning record before they hit their bye week? And if they don't, they're not making a bowl game. Louisiana Tech is fifty-seven and thirty-three since two thousand fourteen. They average eight wins a season. Memphis, as you mentioned earlier, an eight or nine win program consistently has one of the best offenses in the country. Not every single year. You think that state's
1: first loss?
2: Yes, I I, I think that's uh, Mississippi State's first loss of the season. And then again, even though I think NC State's probably going to beat or probably going to lose to Mississippi State. They still went eight and four last season. They returned eighteen starters. If you can't get out of that non-conference slate and at least beat one of those two first SEC teams in LSU or Texas AM, you're not you're not making a bowl. It's just not happening.
1: And I and I don't see them doing that. I I, I don't I don't I don't see them doing that at that point. I mean, you've got you've got some wins on the back half. You're gonna beat Tennessee State, you're gonna beat Vanderbilt, I believe. So you're looking at four wins right there. If they're able to take two out of three of that non conference slate. And Then you're at four. And you got to find two more. You got you got to you got to find two more out of Kentucky, Arkansas, Auburn, and Ole Miss. And I see three losses there. Yep, I, I, I could see them losing to Kentucky. Now the Kentucky and Arkansas games could they take both there? Sure, that's very possible. But this Mississippi State team, it's it's going to be a battle to get to six wins this upcoming year. And I would not be shocked if Mike Leach is jettisoned out of Starkville, Mississippi, after next year. This, qu- this is the this is if I'm looking at hot seats. For 2021, Ed Orgeron, Mike Leach at the top of my list.
2: And that's going to be an inter- interesting game September 25th. And you got two coaches, on, on, an, on a, one of them on an incredible hot seat, in my opinion. And Orgeron, even though he won a national championship in 2019, we've seen SEC programs fire their coach after two seasons after they win the Natty, i.e. Auburn. And then you have Mississippi State with Mike Leach, who brought in a new system and said this is going to work, and it didn't. I think it's going, they're going to be able to fine-tune some things and make it work a little bit better in year two. But again, if they don't make a bowl game, they've they're, Leach is in some serious trouble. And I don't understand what the demand is for 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 the demand for winning at Mississippi State. I don't understand why it's so high. I think they
1: just want to get to six, seven wins every year. But, but State is not opposed to firing a coach because he's not a culture fit. Yeah. That's why Moorhead got pushed out so quickly. He just didn't fit the culture.
2: Mike leach doesn't fit Mississippi culture yeah they're 0 for two on their last coaches as far as culture fits one of the guys is from the northeast and one of the guys is from Washington state Pacific West <laughs> it's just like find a guy that's local I think their defensive coordinator would would be a, a guy to consider I can't remember this name off the top of my my head but he is young up and coming he would be a guy to look at if Mike leach gets fired here in the next couple of seasons but they got to be able to find somebody that's local not like in the state of Mississippi but from the southeast that has SEC regional roots yeah like somebody Regional get somebody that understands the program understands
1: the landscape understands what football means and i think mike leach does but sometimes the antics they get old real fast when you just went three and out in 20 seconds they get old real quick when that stuff doesn't work and it worked in wazoo but you brought up the demand for winning the demand for winning in wazoo is 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 not on the same plane as the demand of winning at an sec school
2: and whenever mississippi state did score last season it looked like it took it took way too much effort it was dink and dunk it was getting every single scrap of yardage that they could they weren't going deep much outside of that LSU game in the first in the first game of the season because they were continuing to get picked off they had to adjust and they, they were trying way too hard on the offense to score it looked like I think again that they will be able to fine tune some things but it's I don't think it's enough to get them to a bowl game
1: and you bring up can the air raid work or I bring up can the air raid work in the SEC and look guys last year may have been year one but they brought in KJ Costello out of Stanford who West Coast guy West Coast quarterback West Coast style quarterback was pretty good at Stanford had some really solid numbers at Stanford it's a nightmare last year in Starkville a nightmare interceptions all over the place he goes down with an injury and that's how they move on to Will Rogers but it was a nightmare for Costello at Mississippi State last year and if that guy couldn't figure it out in the SEC with the with the pedigree that he had at Stanford I don't think Will Rogers can figure it out I thought he did fine but it's not like he it's not like he possesses this next level talent at least we haven't seen it yet and he's only going into year two so For me, when I look at this and how do they avoid missing a bowl game this year, how do they avoid disaster in year two under Mike Leach, the air raid, as you put it already, has to figure it out. And what figuring it out looks like is staying on the field. They did not stay on the field last year. That offense either scored quick or they went three and out. And guess what? The defense was put out there, and a defense that has talent on it that can help them stay in ball games like we saw in that Georgia game last year where it went down to the final drives of the fourth quarter, that, that, that defense is being wasted because the offense can't be efficient. And I don't think this is an offense that can be efficient in the SEC because Mississippi State is less talented at every position on the offensive side of the ball that 75% of the schedule that they will face in the SEC, those teams defensively can match up and defend this air raid and get them off the field if you don't have an uber efficient quarterback like Washington State had over those years looking at Gardner Minshew and some of the other names through there when Mike Leach was there it's not going to work and I don't think Mississippi State has that right now
2: right and as far as KJ Costello goes he threw six touchdowns in six games 11 interceptions that's disaster. terrible that's terrible that's terrible Absolutely terrible. Go look and, at his Stanford numbers. He was pretty good. Yeah, he was really, really good at Stanford. And, and as far as quarterback archetype goes, they're getting guys like Costello and Rogers that should fit this system. Jack Abraham should be another guy that could plug and play into the system and play decently. It's just not working in the SEC. So again, I think they're going to be able to score a little bit more than they were last season. I just don't see it working out enough to where they win a bowl game. I think he made a really good point. They are less talented than 75% of the other teams on their schedule it's just it doesn't add up to bowl level in, 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 in any in any phase and then the other
1: 25 percent maybe only like a couple of those games they're more talented like they're more talented than louisiana tech i, I believe that and i think they're more talented than memphis but i think memphis with the way that they're scoring maybe they got some athletes at memphis you know time, i kind of wonder
2: the last time memphis faced a uh, sec team from mississippi they beat them 15 to 10 they beat Ole Miss. That's
1: right, two years ago. I remember that two years ago. I was driving up to Parrotsville, Tennessee. Watched that game on my phone as I was driving through the mountains. Ugly game. Matt Corral looked horrible.
2: That's another offense that could really, really score that Memphis just shut down. If we yeah. think they air raid something special, they're going to destroy Mississippi State.
1: So I, I wouldn't go that far but because <laughs> they didn't destroy Ole Miss. But I, you know, but that's the point. Like they're, they're just as talented as Kentucky. They're just as talented as Arkansas. They're not more. They're just as talented. They're, 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 name someone that they're more talented than on their schedule Vanderbilt and Louisiana Tech. All right. Well, good luck. It's going to be a battle this year for Mississippi State. I feel like get to a bowl game. Colossal oversight for people to be saying that this is a team that could actually shock this upcoming year. I will be shocked if they do. Let me tell you. I'll be a part of that group. We wrap up with the show on the other side of this break. You're listening to on the line. Wrapping up the show here on the Thursday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we wrap up the Thursday edition, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. The iHeart Music Awards are on Fox starting at 7. You can catch new hour-long episodes of Station 19, Grey's Anatomy, and Rebel from 7 to 10 on ABC. Some movie selections for tonight. Michael J. Fox stars in Back to the Future on Paramount at 6, and then Part 2 is on at 8.30. In Live Sports, the NBA playoff schedule has three games on with two on TNT. At 6.30, get the action started with Game 3 between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Miami Heat. The Lakers did just enough to steal home court away from the suns can lebron and the lakers take the lead in the series game three at nine the denver nuggets and the portland trailblazers continue their series at 9 30 on nba tv the sec baseball tournament continues all day with four games on sec network two teams will be sent home as the field trims going into the fourth round of the tournament if you're missing football there's spring league football on fs1 at six with the conquerors versus the linemen i'm noah gardner and that's what's on tv tonight Noel Gardner and Lance Dahl with you wrapping up the show here. you got about four minutes until the drive with Bill Cameron. Make sure you stay tuned for that for 4 to 6 p.m. on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Let's talk a little NBA playoff action, Lance. Let's get back to the basketball scene for a bit. And there's a nice handful of series tied right now at 1-1 across the league, which in the first round you don't see this too often. New York Knicks and the Atlanta Hawks in a 1-1 series right now. You look over across at the Western Conference there's a lot of 1-1 series yep. surprisingly the Utah Jazz and the 1-8 against the Grizzlies that is tied up the Suns and the Lakers they play tonight that's tied up as well and then the Nuggets and the Trailblazers tied at 1-1 and then at the 4-5 game the Clippers right now are getting roasted by the Mavericks it's 2-0 my question to you is excluding that Mavericks Clippers series look at all the 1-1 series that are tied which one is the most likely to end in an upset? And I will take in a 4 or 5 upset if, if that's where you're leaning.
2: Well, I think there are two different matchups that you got to be able to look at here that are legitimate upset potential. I think you got to go look at uh, Memphis against the Los Angeles, or I'm sorry, Phoenix against the Los Angeles Lakers. And you got to be able to look at New York against Atlanta. That series again, with Atlanta tied at 1 1 right now. Atlanta being able to take one game in Madison Square Garden I think is significant Trey Young saying I'll see you guys in the A
1: it takes home court away from New York but my question is does Atlanta and I don't know how many Hawks games you've been to but there's definitely more of a home court advantage in MSG than there is in, in in whatever Atlanta's stadium's called now
2: I would agree and the Knicks have been able to, to to grind out some wins that they probably shouldn't have gotten this season. They're they're a talented team. They've got some legitimate players in Julius Randle, Derrick Rose, some some talented stars on that team. Julius Randle won Most Improved Player of the Year award. But whenever you look at that, that series in the Western Conference with Phoenix and Los Angeles, you're going to have a really hard time beating LeBron James, no matter how bad the rest of his supporting cast is. And I think Phoenix is a really, really good basketball team, but they can survive the Lakers. I think that's going to say a lot for them as far as the long run in this playoff, in this playoff NBA finals goes. But I, I think LeBron James and the Lakers have a really good chance now that they're playing at home to go up 3-1.
1: and it was big for the Lakers to go and steal home court away from the Suns as well taking that game two against the Suns that's tough because you look at the end of the year for the Lakers they didn't have LeBron James that played a major impact the Lakers dealing with injuries this year and LeBron dealing with injury that played an impact in the fact that the Lakers finished the year at 42 and 30 and it's a deep western conference at 42 and 30 in the east guess where that gets you that gets you as the four seed in yep. the east and you're getting to play the the Knicks or the Hawks in, in that event over in the west that got you as the seventh seed and you had to play in the play-in tournament and battle your way to the seventh seed and then you got to play the Suns the thing is LeBron James with the Lakers is vastly different than LeBron James without the Lakers LeBron James with the Lakers makes the Lakers like they should be the two seed and so I'm with you. I would not be shocked. Lakers, I, I think that's the most likely candidate. If you're going to see an upset and a true by-the-book upset, not even just a 5-4, you want to see something, uh, a, a weird number in the second round, the Lakers end up, if they beat the Suns, they are a two-seed
2: in my mind from here out. And whenever they, if, they, if they do win, then they'd have to match up against Denver or Portland. And I think that's favorable for Los Angeles as well there. A lot of,
1: of big-man talent and a lot of front-court talent for the lakers with what they've got in anthony davis and then drummond and then also looking at what lebron could do from a rebounding and defensive Montress, standpoint right you look at what the trailblazers and the nuggets are built upon of course the nuggets do have Jokic, but they're definitely much more backcourt driven and in, in denver and also in portland and, and, and definitely more so in denver or excuse me definitely more so in portland and that's another series that i've got my eye on that's split right now at 1-1 game time baby I definitely think that they've got enough firepower to keep up with the Nuggets.
2: And then, as far as Denver's concerned, Jamal Murray's out for the season. You talk about their guard play being the focus focal point of their offense. One of their best guards, one of the best players in the NBA is out. I, I could see Portland taking that series. And then, as far as Dallas and Los Angeles is concerned, look, you 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 excluded me from picking that matchup. I'm somewhat of a Mavs fan. I'm enjoying this right now. <laughs> I love seeing Luka Doncic and, and Porzingis play, but... Los Angeles couldn't beat them even whenever their stars went off. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George combined for nearly 70 points against the Mavs in their last contest, and they still lost. You know what they're missing? They're missing my 2K player. They really on, are. On, on 2K, my, Noah
1: Gardner plays for the Los Angeles Clippers, and I'm a transcendent point guard. We would never be down like this. Sweeps all the way. Never would be down.
2: Not even a chance. They,
1: they Sign me up, LA. Sign me up. That's it for the Thursday edition of On the Line. The Drive with Bill Cameron will be coming up after us on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. We'll see you tomorrow, same time, same place. To wrap up your work week, you know where to find us.